I don't know about you, but each and every week we are taken to the throne by our minister of music and the choir, the musicians, the soloists. I tell you, we are richly, richly blessed as a church, and I hope you appreciate that. All you have to do is go somewhere else for a little while, and you'll grow to appreciate that, that's for sure. Uh, this morning, uh, our pastor, Pastor uh, Dr. Paul Sands, is preaching in Mexico City. Now, this weekend, Friday and Saturday, and then today, he's been participating in a um, pastor's conference in Mexico City. Many of you know Eli, who usually plays in our band, plays the, the, the guitar there. Um, it's his dad's church, and they invite pastors from all around Mexico to come be a part of that conference, and they invited Paul to preach this weekend. And so he's been doing that, and this morning he's preaching at the church. And so he gets to preach three times this morning. So uh, I'm, I'm praying for him, uh, and I hope he's praying for me, because I'm the substitute in here this, this morning. And so I'm always excited about the opportunity to get to share with you. It's a joy to be a part of First Baptist Woodway, for sure. Now, as you know, uh, or many of you know anyway, that during the month of November, we usually set aside this, this period of time, these first two or three weeks of November, to really zero in on, in the past, we've called it stewardship, we're kind of calling it generosity this day, but uh, we're looking at that opportunity to share of our resources, of our talents, our time, and so forth. And so uh, we spend this time, and if you recall, that's what Paul did last week as he kind of kicked off the month of, of uh, November in talking about generosity, and we're going to continue that theme even today. Now, in, in thinking about that, I hope you had a chance to see the video that he showed last week. Many of you got to see it. If you didn't get to see it, you need to go online and see it because it is an amazing video because what it was about was that about um, 15, no, six years ago, uh, we built our children's building at the cost of $6 million. And we had a 15-year note to get that paid off, and we paid it off nine years early. And so that was something we wanted to celebrate, and what a joyous time that was. And for your benefit to know that it wasn't because of one or two large gifts. It was just the giving of our church family over this period of time. And it's great to see that we have such a generous church. And then at the same time, um, you know that we're not about to approve a budget or anything like that. Instead, our budget preparation and the planning and the voting, the presentation of it, is all done in August. And so we've already done that, so we're not here trying to build up the budget. Well, then why are we doing this? Well, let me tell you why. The gift of generosity is no different than the gift of prayer or Bible study or evangelism. It's a biblical principle that we as believers need to hold very, very dear to our hearts. And it's a part of our spiritual maturity as believers that we grow in our understanding of what true biblical generosity is like. And as a result of that, we're going to continue to, to focus on this month of generosity, just like we would be doing it on prayer or on Bible study or whatever. It's not about paying off a debt. It's not about uh, meeting a budget. It's about growing and maturing in our walk with Christ and in our life as a believer. So we want to grasp the understanding and the principle of what it means to be biblically and Christian generosity. We want to, to know what that means and how that is, is sensed. Now, I have to tell you and confess to you right up front, I come from a Christian home. My mom and dad 
uh, and my sister, who's older than I am, were all believers, and, and I was blessed by the opportunity of being raised in a family like that. And as a result, I got to hear about the Lord a long time ago and, and was raised in a church. In fact, we were there all the time. Mom was a church secretary. Dad was a deacon. Therefore, little Terry was in the church all the time. Well, now, coming up from a Christian family was a great blessing to me, but I want to let you know that they taught me very early about generosity and what it means to give of our resources. And, and, and like I say, I put this in context of being in a Christian home, in a, a very church-attending home, and someone that cared a lot about helping me to grow as a believer. And I say that for this reason. Very young, what they would do, mom and dad, they'd say, now, Terry... You cannot go out and play and have fun until your chores are done. So you have to go clean up your room, you have to make your bed, you have to sweep the garage, you have to take out the trash, and my chores had to be done. Now then, once I did all my chores, what I got to do is receive a little bit of money as a result of what I had done, all the work that I did. And then as they would hand me the money, they would say, now then, you need to give this money to Jesus. Well, my attitude was if Jesus needs money, let him take out the trash. <laughs> That's a godly attitude for someone to have, being raised in a Christian home. And, and mom and dad were doing their best to teach me and encourage me to, to be generous in my living and in my walk with the Lord. But in the process of doing that, sometimes I just kind of missed it, I guess, and uh, continue wanted to to grow in that. And I can even recall when Jan and I first got married, our desire was to give. That's just part of what our relationship with the Lord was about, is to, to give of our resources to, uh, to bless the Lord and to be used for His ministry. But now I will tell you, as a young married couple, that's hard sometimes because you're starting out in new jobs. You're trying to buy a house. You're trying to buy your cars. You're trying to just make ends meet as a young married couple. And so it's very difficult to do that sometimes. There's a lot more of the month left over at the end of the money, as we talk about, and that is so true for many young married couples. But then I know as growing past the, the young adult area, and then you start thinking about trying to save for your child's school, uh, their, their college, trying to put them through all the organizations and, and the groups that they're a part of, and that all takes money as well. And so the challenges of being able to take care of what you wanted to take care of as well as to give is a challenge. It's, it's just hard to do. I hear that when you're preparing for retirement that you're trying to set things aside as well because you want to know that once you quit working that you have funds to live on. And so you're always having to, to look towards that and put money away and try to prepare for that coming of retirement. And then I also know that once a person retires, sometimes they're on a fixed income. And so being generous at that point continues to be a challenge. It seems like we're always faced with a dilemma of how do we take care of ourselves, those that we love, those that we're concerned about, and yet at the same time be able to give. And so often we give, but we give out of duty or responsibility, peer pressure. We, we give for some of those reasons instead of out of a generous heart. Well, I'm, I'm here to say today that that we as believers, if we can come to grips with what the Bible actually teaches about generosity and giving, 
we're going to find that it's much more than a duty that we have or a responsibility that we have, but it's an, an overflow of joy that we can live trusting the Lord to take care of our needs. And that's where we're trying to, to grasp today. It's not about paying off a debt. It's not about meeting a budget. It's about being freed from the bondage of things here and responsibilities here. But it's a, instead, it's a walk in a matter of trust that we have. Well, this morning, I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians 8. Now, to let you know what's going on, of course, the Apostle Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, but you can even back up to the very first Corinthians that he wrote. And if you go to the 16th chapter, you find what he talks about there is about taking up an offering. And the offering is being taken up for the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is made up mostly of Jews that have come to know Christ. They have been, they've left Judaism, and as a result, they have uh, embraced who Jesus was, and they've established a church there. Now, now, you have to understand that that is very costly to the Jews to step out of Judaism and to become a believer because in doing so, many of them lost their vocations. People would no longer shop with them or do business with them as a result of their commitment to follow Christ and leaving Judaism. Many of them lost their families. Uh, as a result, they were disowned. They were no longer welcomed as a part of the family because of a commitment that they made to Christ. It was also that the, the Roman government really imposed a lot of taxes and a lot of hardships became a part of their life. And so the church in Jerusalem was struggling greatly. And those who had made a commitment to Christ to stand with him have now experienced real dilemma and afflictions and persecutions as a result of the commitment that they made. And Paul knew this, and so even as he went to the Corinthian church, he told them in the 16th chapter, if you would like to participate in an offering to take care of the church in Jerusalem, I would like to give you that opportunity. And the Bible says that they got excited about that, and they started that process. Now then, we fast forward to the second book of Corinthians, and what we find that if you look through that, that there has been a breach in a relationship between the church at Corinth, which, which Paul was very instrumental in beginning, and also into Paul himself. There's a, a breach in their relationship, and, and we're not for sure exactly why. There's a lot of thoughts as to what could have happened, and it could be that the Judaizers came in after Paul left that church, which was not uncommon, to try to steal his glory, to, to take away some of his impact and his teachings, and as a result, it caused hardship between the church in Corinth and, and, and Paul. Uh, there are any number of reasons why there could have been a breach in a relationship, but as we come into 2 Corinthians, we find that in these earlier chapters, what he does is he's reestablishing that relationship that he has with them. And then we come to the 8th chapter, and what he's doing now when he comes to the 8th chapter is he's revisiting this issue of this offering, because you see what happened when the breach in their relationship took place, the offering stopped. They no longer gave. That eagerness and excitement that they had to give early on seemed to wane. And as a result, Paul now is revisiting that issue about their generosity. Look what it says in the very first verse. It says, but we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches in Macedonia. Now let me just stop there just to say the, graces, the, the churches of Macedonia, normally uh, considered as a group of churches, but one of them is the church in Philippi, one is in Thessalonica, 
and the other is in Berea. And so you have these three churches that Paul was very instrumental in, in um, uh, starting that he's referring to now. As he talks to the Corinthians, he refers to these churches and he says, I want you to know about the grace of God granted to these churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. Now, wait a second. You know, I might need to back the truck up a minute. I don't know if you understood what I just read or perhaps what you just read. But he says, I want you to think about the churches in Macedonia. He said, you know, they're under severe affliction. They're in deep poverty, yet they have abundant joy and it's overflowed into a wealth of generosity. That makes no sense. Especially when you consider those churches because the church in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea were very poor churches. They were churches that were struggling and they were being persecuted as well. Now they were mostly made up of Gentiles. But a lot of the same reasons came into being for them having to struggle as the Jewish church in Jerusalem. They were struggling. They had issues that they had to deal with. And though we don't know for sure what all those were, here Paul knew. He knew because he helped start those churches. He continued to stay in contact with those churches. He knew what they were dealing with. And it says right there, during a severe testing of affliction, their abundance of joy, their deep poverty overflowed with a wealth of generosity. To me, that must be modern math. I don't get it. Affliction plus poverty equals joy and generosity. Oh, come on, you don't get it either. You don't understand it. It makes no sense. In our world, in our context of what we look at, it makes no sense to consider the thought of affliction, severe affliction, and to have deep poverty, to turn around and become abundant joy and overwhelming a wealth of generosity. Something must have happened, and I'm not sure exactly what that is. I really am kind of sure, and we're going to look at that. But I just want you to know that this kind of just generosity, this Christian generosity is not something that comes natural, and it's not normal. It sure doesn't come out of your circumstances, because as we've already talked about, sometimes we find ourselves in those circumstances, whether it's in trying to start off a young marriage, marriage or whether it's trying to take care of our kids, whether it's planning for retirement, whether it's living on a fixed income, we always find ourselves afflicted in some way, being restricted in some way, and having to make plans for the future. And therefore, how can we find and discover great joy in giving and giving abundantly? Well, if, if I'm looking at my giving as a duty, it's not a joy. And yet here is Paul talking about this Macedonian group of churches, and they're giving with great joy. They must know something. They must have some kind of a relationship that I know I want, I want and I long for. Look what it goes on to say. It says, I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us in, insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. Well, I don't know if you heard that or not. But what they ended up saying, he said, look, let me tell you about these Macedonians. Number one is he said they did give with great joy, but they gave not out of being manipulated or out of a sense of duty. Instead, they'd had a desire. They voluntarily wanted to give. 
and they gave according to their ability, but not just that, even beyond their ability. And then they turned around and they, it's a sacrifice to them because keeping in mind, they're poor. They're afflicted. It's interesting that Paul uses the model of generosity to be those Macedonian churches because they are in dire straits. They're struggling. It's hard for them. And yet he uses them. He doesn't say in here how much their gift was because that's unimportant to Paul. It's not the amount of the, the generosity, the gift that they're giving. Instead, it's the attitude in which they're giving it. And I think that's what Paul is trying to communicate to these Corinthians who got mad at Paul and withheld their giving. And so he looks at these Macedonian churches and he says, they are your model. Why? Because in great affliction and poverty, they were overjoyed to give and give generously. It was a wealth to them and they gave without having to be asked. In fact, it says that they in, just begged for the opportunity to give to the ministry. That's an amazing model and it's an amazing thought, if you would, of what Christian generosity is about. It's not about a certain amount. Do I believe in the tithe? Absolutely I do. Do I believe in offerings? Absolutely I do. I think it's taught in Scripture. But I also believe it's not to be done out of a sense of duty. Just like Paul is talking, it's, not, it's an attitude in which we give. That they were able to give according to what they had and even more. They gave sacrificially. First of all, they gave joyously. Second of all, they gave voluntarily. And third, they gave sacrificially. This is the model that Paul presented to the church at Corinth using those Macedonians because they knew something special. Well, let me tell you what they learned and what they did because it's found in verse 5. So please make a note of this. How can you give joyfully? How can you give voluntarily? How can you give sacrificially even in difficult days? Well, look what it says in verse 5. And not just what we had hoped. And what he's referring to there is it's not just that they gave a gift. It says they did something different. It says instead they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. Did you see what they did? First and foremost, they did not give a monetary gift. They gave themselves. Big difference. Before they started working about how much can we give, how much can we figure it out, before they got their calculators out and started figuring everything, they said, Lord, we want to lay ourselves at your feet. We want to surrender to your will. We want to restore an, an amazing and dynamic relationship with our Lord and Savior. That's what he said. How can you give joyfully in the midst of affliction and poverty? Will you give because of a relationship you have with the Lord. And that's what the Macedonians had discovered. He said, first and foremost, they gave themselves to the Lord. It's a commitment. It's a surrender of our own worldly concerns. It's a surrender of our own desires and thoughts. And it's acknowledging Him as our Lord. Does not Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, in the, by, I live in, by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. It's that attitude of 
surrender, of giving up ourselves. It's becoming selfless in a very selfish environment. But that's what they did. It says, first and foremost, they gave themselves to the Lord. And then what did they do? It says he gave themselves to us as well because we're the ones bringing the need. Uh, as the leadership of, of Paul and, and Titus and these others that he's working with, they saw the concern for the church in Jerusalem, and so they decided they wanted to give. And they gave, as it said, insisting, begging to be a part of that ministry. That's how the change takes place in a person, moving from duty to desire, from judgment to joy. It's that attitude of, I surrender myself to the Lord. You know, Paul is a, a very smart man. He, he, of course, gives them the model of generosity, but he doesn't quite stop there. He continues. And he tells them who the master of generosity is. It's found in verse 8. He says, I'm not saying this is a command. Rather, by means of diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Did you see that? He says, this is a test of your love. Do you have a true, abiding, intimate love with the Lord? Because he says, consider the Lord. He says, look at what Jesus did. He said, though he was rich, he became poor. Jesus knew eternity. He knew no bounds. He, the Bible says he was the creator. There's not a thing that was created that he did not create. He owns it. We always talk about he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, you do know he owns those hills as well. He owns it all. It's his. The Bible says he's the one that enables us to make and create wealth. It's him that does that. And that's why it says, consider Jesus. He was rich. Yet, what does it say? It says he became poor. Now, how did he do that? Well, he stepped out of glory. John 1 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This one that knew no bounds became bound. This one that never knew sadness, sorrow, or hurt, or pain now knows all of that because he became flesh like us. He gave up his riches and took on poverty. Did you hear why? So that out of his poverty, we can become rich. How do we become rich? We go from death to life because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's amazing when you start thinking about what Jesus did how he stepped out of glory, took on the form of a flesh, became limited like a man for the very single purpose of restoring a relationship with us and making us rich. Paul has talked about the Macedonians, how they did it. Now let me quickly just show you what Jesus did. Over in Hebrews, the second, excuse me, the 12th chapter, the second verse says this, Keeping your eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, now did you get that? Now they're just talking about Jesus. Who for the joy set before him endured a cross and despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's talking about Jesus says for the joy of the cross. He knew what was coming and yet he still had a lot of joy. He was in a lot of affliction, pain, sadness and sorrow. Poverty if you will, but in that midst he had joy. 
But then let me also refer you over to John, the 10th chapter, beginning in verse 17. It says, this is why the Father loves me. This is Jesus speaking. So that I may, uh, so because I am laying down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have that right to lay it down on my own. You see, Jesus is doing um, the same thing that the Macedonians did in that he gave himself because of his relationship with the Father. It says that he gave with great joy knowing what was coming. He did so voluntarily because he said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own. I choose to do that. But yet we also know that he gave sacrificially because it cost him his life on the cross. I think of that song that, that uh, Sarah just sang. Wasn't that a powerful song? Take me to the king. And in, in a very real sense, that's exactly what Paul is trying to do with the church at Corinth. He's taking them to the king. You see the Macedonians. You see the joy that they gave out of. Well, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus because he too gave himself his whole life to make us rich. We are blessed. We are very, very blessed. And I know that I'm quickly out of time. Aren't you glad? Because I have so much more. But I will try to keep us within the limit. Um, Paul had told him about the, the model of generosity, and he even introduced him to the master of generosity. But may I say he's now wanting the Corinthian church as well as us to move to generosity. That's what his desire is. If you look in verse 6, it says, So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so should he also complete this grace to you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this grace. Do you see he's saying, Titus was with you to start this gift. He says, now complete it. He's talking to the Corinthian church, and he says, you excel in so many things. All of these Christian traits, you excel in those things. Whether it's faith, whether it's speech, so forth, right on down the line, he says, you excel in those. But he, he closes out by saying, excel in this grace as well. He's encouraging them to excel in understanding and participating in true generosity. If you look down in verse 10, it says, now I am giving an, op I'm, I am giving an opinion on this because it is profitable for you who a year ago began not only to do something, but also to desire it. But now finish the task as well, that just as there was an eagerness to desire it, so there may also be to complete it. For if the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I think it's amazing that he's saying, finish the commitment that you made. You started out and you desired it. Now complete it. Now complete it. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Verse 17 says this, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to become arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. Is that not what the Macedonians did? They gave themselves first to the Lord, who richly provides with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, 
storing up for themselves a good foundation for the age to come so that they may take hold of, what, of, of life that is real. Real life, as he's talking about in Timothy, is not the things that we have. It's an attitude of freedom. As the Macedonians say, we don't have much, but what we have is yours. We want to participate. Jesus said, I'm giving up my riches in glory in order to bring about your riches. He says, this is for your foundation, your good, that I'm trying to do this. And that's why he ends up saying, this is what real life is. Let me read one other passage of scripture, and it's just in the ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians. He's still on the same topic that I think is very important for each of us to hear because it sums up to a large degree of what he's trying to say. In verse 6 of the ninth chapter, it says, Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not out of regret or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you. So that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. That's the kind of giving I want to have. That it's not dependent on my situation or my circumstances. That I'm not so tied up and concerned about what lies ahead that I miss what's happening now. Are we to have common sense and plan for the future? Of course. But is that our God? Is that what rules us? The first thought before we have an opportunity to give, do we come back and have to figure everything out and have it work on paper? I'll be the first to tell you that Jan's in my life has not worked on paper. But God is good. That's why Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply your needs according to his riches and glory. Now that's a promise. Did you hear that? My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Do we believe that? or not? That's the question. Do we take him at his word or not? Do we live in fear and concern or do we live with an open heart and an open hand? Trusting God to meet our needs. And know that it's not out of duty. It's a joy that in our affliction, in our poverty, we can have joy and be wealthy in our generosity. Again, knowing it's not the amount, it's the attitude. That's where the freedom comes in. We're not trying to pay off a building. We're not trying to meet a budget. We're trying to teach spiritual discipleship to let you know what it means to be a fuller believer. And you say, Terry, well, we just paid that off nine years early. We overgive our budget every year. So why are we having this? I want you to have joy. I want you to know what it's like to be free. To give. 
to grow, to see God do amazing things, to see that he's a God of his word. He will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Yes, sometimes we think we have a need until it's not met, and then we realize that's not really a need. But his promise is true. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. We can take him at his word, and we can live joyously as a result. Would you pray with me? Father, I am so grateful for your word, and I'm so thankful that we have the privilege of opening it. it. I do pray that you'll continue to teach us, to help us to grow. Lord, I know that First Woodway is a very generous church, and I know we're able to accomplish many, many things that so many other churches are perhaps not able to. But Father, it's more than that. I pray that we will give it with an attitude of joy, a true sense of generosity. It's not just the money, it's, it's giving of ourselves to you to lay ourselves at your feet and ask you to use us. Thank you for the privilege of being able to give to ministry, to see your word carried far beyond these doors, to see people's needs met that that we are totally even unaware of. But Lord, bless us with the joy of giving, giving of our resources but giving of ourselves to you as the Macedonians did, as Jesus did. May we also be obedient to follow. We love you. Thank you that you've given so much to us. And we ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name.